You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to win friends and influence people episode. (laughs) We have with us today, Pastor Darren Enns. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Pastor Drew Tarwater, how are you? Oh, wait. He's on assignment, so he is not here today, so it is just Pastor Darren Enns and myself. I'm Rob Blasey today. We are talking about last week's sermon, which was overall the 12 disciples being called. So Darren, can you give us a quick recap of what that looked like? Yeah, so I didn't preach the sermon, so I obviously won't be able to give you as uh, much of a deep dive recap as Drew does, but uh, I do make the study guide for our life groups every week, so I'll kind of go over that a little bit. Um, you know, Drew started out by asking how how does someone how do how does someone know if we're a Christian? Like, what what are the markers of of being a Christ follower, and like, what does that look like in in our culture? Because uh, a lot of us might say like, well, it's it's behavior, or it's like, yeah, I mean, do, do we wear something? You know, it's kind of interesting about how much we infuse our, the culture within ourselves and our church. And so, just a really great question to start out with. Another thing he talked about was about becoming versus belonging. Um, typically, at least we here at Forefront, we really want someone to feel like they belong and they can be a part of our community. They can be part of the people of God. And then as the time passes, then you know all of us are eventually becoming someone who looks more and more like Jesus. And so we don't want to to judge everyone, um, because these disciples, uh, which was the main thrust uh, of the sermon about Jesus forming his 12 disciples and calling them out of their previous lives, was that they did not look like anyone expected. They did not look like someone who was in the kingdom of God, who was a disciple. They were common people. They were they were sinners, or at least viewed as the worst of sinners. You know, uh, Drew talked about Matthew being a tax collector. Like, tax collector was the worst. He, it was a Jewish person who was extorting his own people for his own gain, because the tax collector could charge whatever he wanted, and that was meant to be his own income and the tribute to to Rome. I forgot that he could charge his own too, like a like his own like margin rate on top of whatever Rome wanted. Yeah. Right, and so that some tax collectors were hated, others were like, "Oh, he's a little bit fair. He's not like gouging us." But th- the temptation is really high because Ooh. you had the power of Rome behind you, right? Right. To, to tax whatever. Could you, you imagine an IRS agent walking up to your door and be like, "Hey, Darren, this is what I think you owe." Well, can you show me the math? <laughs> no, I think this is what you owe. And I have a Roman soldier here to back me up. <laughs> yeah. No, oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be. Uh, that'd be. Uh, I'm sure they'd be your best friend real soon. Oh, totally. So. Yeah, everyone loves them. Yeah. So when this person is called by Jesus to be a follower of a rabbi, like what? That that's not right. That's not. He, Matthew isn't in the kingdom of God. He's gouging his own people. He's the worst of sinners. Right. You you mentioned that being called by a rabbi. What did it look like to be a rabbi back in those days? Like, what did what was, like, what, what did it look like? What, what yeah. how'd you get there, and what was the authority of the rabbi? Yeah, rabbis were viewed, you know, of course, very loftily. Um, 
in our day, there's not as much of a comparison because pastors, you know, we try to be more, I don't know, approachable in a sense. Like we don't want people to have to clean themselves up before we go out to coffee with them or something like that. So, but, but back in the day, a rabbi was very respected. And um, if you were called to, well, the thing about Jesus and the calling of the disciples here is that he went out and found people and asked them to follow him. And that was not typically how it worked. Normally, when, when you're a rabbi, there are people who come to rabbi school, most likely in Jerusalem, and, and they would apply to be the followers of a certain rabbi. And then from there, that the rabbi would, would, would choose you know, his close followers or people to study under him. And so for Jesus to come in and all of a sudden go out and find random people who are not in this school and say, hey, you come and follow me, that was quite different and quite scandalous. Like, and, and, and that's one reason when like they dropped everything, like it is culturally acceptable when a rabbi calls you to follow him. First of all, that didn't happen. But second of all, if it did happen, you were like, yes, please. I don't want to be a fisherman anymore. No offense to, to Rich out there who loves to go fishing every midweek but but fishermen were 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 not not wealthy it was not a great profession it, you know drew talked about uh you know kind of dirty and grungy type of things um it was definitely an, an honest living of course mm-hmm. but uh if you have a chance to to become to to work out of that occupation and become a respected uh you know theologian every day you would totally do it no, it's interesting to think about too, because he's also mentioned like how like they're also working overnights, so it's hard right. work. You're working overnights, and then a rabbi calls you. So there was some p- point of this where Jesus was recognized as a rabbi, or at least a good teacher, maybe at this point to go like because yeah. rabbis would have their disciples. It wasn't that wasn't an unheard of concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as how much was Jesus a rabbi, I, I'm not entirely up to date with you know what what scholars are saying um about jesus's you know life before he was 30 mm-hmm. um he we generally uh it's it is generally agreed upon that he was 30 when he started this whole thing mm-hmm. and so he had you know 25 plus years of his life um in nazareth in galilee where he was just kind of doing his thing making a name for himself getting trained up mm-hmm. uh learning the scriptures those sorts of things um some people like to think about the psychology of like, how did he know he was the son of God? Like, how did he figure out he was the Messiah? Right. Uh, that's a lot of speculation. Uh, fun to think about. But since Drew's not here, we're not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but you but anyway, yeah. So he, he he was there for like 25 plus years and, and, and learning things. And interesting thing. Um, so Nazareth was in the middle of, of Galilee, which was a predominantly Gentile area. Okay. Nazareth was a Jewish place. Um, and so they had kind of their own special little Bible study. They were far away from Jerusalem, and so they they really didn't have the best rabbis up there with them. But it was a Jewish town, and so the synagogue there was a place of study and a place of worship. And and the Jews would gather there, and, and Jesus was known in his community for sure. It's not like when he stood up, uh, the story we get in Luke 4, and just started reading from the Isaiah scroll that this was like, a weird thing that happened. It, it, it was his custom. That's what the scripture says there in Luke four. So it, it was normal for Jesus to to be uh, in the synagogue and and teaching and you know being a a, a quasi leader of that area. That was one. Uh, that's actually a verse. One. Of, that's actually a verse. One of my friends told me the other day because uh, 
missed church the last few weeks. And he goes, yeah, even Jesus went to the synagogue. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, okay, good point. We should go. (laughs) So, so he, he's teaching there and he calls like, what were he, so he calls the 12 and they all come from different professions. Like what was the, so the next step is now like, I always, always wondered in this step is like, how did they provide for themselves? Like you're now like Jesus wasn't like, Mm -hmm. I mean, did they, was they bivocational disciples? Right. Uh, it's, it's interesting. They, they all had a a job. Yeah. Um, here, here's where I'll I'll answer that. I think there's a person named Joanna, right? Yeah. Let me do a quick search. Joanna is like a a really popular. Yeah. Luke eight verse three says, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, um, Susanna and many others, these women were helping support them out of their own means. So that there's this woman who is, the wife of of a manager of King Herod, who has huh. a lot of money, who is bankrolling Jesus's ministry. <laughs> when you think right? of it that way, it's kind of it's, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Where it's, it's ironic, isn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what they they had benefactors. They had people in their culture who recognized what Jesus was doing and essentially had money to to help them do their thing. Now, of course, Jesus, you know. If he fed five thousand people for a day, he could probably feed his disciples for three years <laughs> with, with with loaves of fish, loaves of bread, and, and fish. But uh, that's beside the point, right? So then, what? And there were other rabbis, like because uh, didn't they? Wasn't like they're like a, a structure of like going like, hey, I learned under this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, even and who Paul did talks you, about that? And who did? Yeah, who did? Because he claimed Paul claimed Jesus, right? And some uh, other rabbis too, didn't he? Right, Paul. I think I think it was Gamaliel was the guy that that Paul talks about. Okay, that he he learned under before he met Jesus. But okay. then he says, "Yeah, I le- I got my gospel from Jesus." He talks about that in some of his letters. He he tries to vindicate his own apostleship. Like, yeah, I wasn't alive with like these twelve guys, but like I still met Jesus. I still got my 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 gospel from him, from the risen, resurrected Christ. Yeah, no. So it's it's whole, it's pretty interesting with the whole rabbi culture of the authority and like who you claim you learned under. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus, I mean, who did he learn under? Cause then he claimed John we... the Baptist once something once like, Oh, I don't know. doesn't ring a bell for me. I was, I was going to say like God, the father. Yeah. Them, I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember all the old Sunday school lessons and dust and dusting those off. So, I'm I'm terrible when it comes to the questions like this. Like, well, where did it say this? I'm like, I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. So, we have search functions now on, oh, on our those, Bible software. Oh, so. it's glorious. So, yeah. do you know what uh, what's being talked about next week? Did you did you do the uh, study guide for next week yet? Oh, no, I have to hear the sermon um, next week. I think Ron is going to hit some of the uh, the um, well, the Sermon on the Mount, which is you know Jesus kind of creating this new law. Yeah. Because the thing that's interesting about, especially in Matthew, mm-hmm. and I'm going through this with my Bible study, is that Matthew is putting Jesus into so many Old Testament uh, narratives and okay. so many, many themes. I think we talked about this last week, right? Mm-hmm. So coming up in the Sermon on the Mount, globally speaking, Jesus is, he's creating his law. So he he's the new Adam. Uh, he, he, he was tempted, but he passed the test. He's the new Moses. He came through 
he came or he escaped from Egypt, but then he came back and he was baptized in the Jordan. He had kind of an Exodus experience. Uh, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, just like the Israelites were. He calls 12 disciples who are now the new nation of Israel. And then he's going to lay down his new law. He's going to essentially teach Torah. But what he's doing, he's taking the Torah that they knew and he's elevating it to this higher level. And, and it's, it's like you, you've heard it said, you know, do not murder anyone. And so many, most of Israel could say, check, I got it. So I'm good on that law. But Jesus says, actually, like the intent of this is way, way deeper. If you harbor anger for someone in your own heart, like you, that's, you're not fulfilling the law. The point of the law is to make a new person out of you. And so the law in itself is ineffective. And so Jesus is showing the intent behind the law and how he is living in the spirit. He's able to fulfill the intent behind the law. But Jesus is laying this down in such a, such, at such a high level that's unattainable for someone who does not have the spirit um, that it was really, again, revolutionary. And especially the Beatitudes, like blessed is, is this person because they are going to you know, inherit the kingdom of God. Um, I'm, I'm just doing a bit of reading on that. And the word blessed there really means happy. Like if, guess what? If you are happy because you are meek and humble, because you know that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, you're happy. Like that's, that's a great thing. Everyone should desire happiness. God's intent for us is to be happy, not just like suffering, but saying, oh, hashtag blessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that- it's interesting to think about with the Beatitudes is where he's redefining or clarifying the law where it's like, Hey guys, this is what I meant. This is what you guys should be doing. Mm-hmm. This is where I always think about, th- I always think about that example of like where you're, what's it look like while you're driving down the road? Are you, are you, you know, the speed limit says 65, but what it really means is 75. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what's, you can go 71. It's okay. Yeah. It's like, what's the, you know, and if you're in the left lane and passing, I mean, there's this whole set of new rules. It's like the unspoken <laughs> rules in baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but no, be looking forward to that from Ron and you guys coming forward. So did we miss anything, Darren? And uh, Drew's on assignment if you're wondering where Drew's at. So yeah, he's, he's, he's in the field. Yep. A field day with his daughters. <laughs> um, th- there was something. Uh, we we kind of shifted some sermons around and... Uh, just because of some circumstances. And so there was, Drew was going to have a sermon on Luke 4, 16 through 30. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically that passage. And it's one of my my favorites because I think there's so much in here. And actually I, I'm uh, preaching this in one of my preaching classes uh, coming up here. And it's, it's so interesting uh, what's going on. And so the gist is that Jesus here, he's in the synagogue, um, as was his custom. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, chapter four, verse 16. We've already talked about that. And he, he goes up and he gets the Isaiah scroll and he unrolls it to the specific place and he quotes from it. And here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me or is on me. I'm reading from the NIV because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he's done. He rolls up the scroll and then he he sits down. Now, it's very important to know that sitting down for a rabbi meant he was about to teach. It's not like he was upstage, Mike or, uh, up, up, right up on, on the on the stage, and then he he set the Bible down and went back into the the congregation seats, and everyone's eyes just followed him. No, he was he was up there, and he was he was about to preach. Huh. 
and, 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 and teach some stuff. The interesting, interesting thing about this Isaiah passage is that it's actually a combination of, of a couple different verses, and he also stops at a really interesting place. So there's, so it's from Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 and a little bit of 2, but he also brings in a passage from Isaiah 58, 6, like three chapters beforehand. And then he stops right before it talks about judgment of the Gentiles. And that's very important that if you don't know that Isaiah passage, you, you just miss something there. Now, I already mentioned that um, Nazareth was a Jewish town in the middle of a Gentile area. Mm-hmm. These people who were in Nazareth had a certain sense of national pride and national identity in their Jewish heritage. And they knew that the kingdom of God was supposed to be for them. And so when they, he- when they read this passage from Isaiah... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, when they read this passage from Isaiah, th- they don't stop where Jesus stopped. They keep going because it talks about the kingdom of God coming to the Jews and the Gentiles being judged. They're like, yes, that's what's supposed to happen. The Gentiles are going to be judged. Yes. It's, it's for us, not them. It's like but our Jesus... defense coming through. It's like, yes, it should. Yeah. <laughs> we can't wait for it to come through. Yeah. It's a, and, and judgment is a good thing, right? We yeah. all love justice. We, yeah. we don't want murderers to walk free. Absolutely. And so if a, a Jewish sense of national identity knew that Gentiles were outside the kingdom of God. They were sinners. They were going to be judged. But what Jesus does here is he stops right before that happens. And by bringing in this, this other, other verse, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and, and, and good news to the poor, like, wait a second, Jesus, wh- why are you combining these, these verses? Which was legal for a Jew to do when reading the prophets. Mm-hmm. You could kind of combine a verse or two, not when you're reading the Torah. If a, if a rabbi reads the Torah, you got to read it word for word. You can't uh, do any, any like stylistic things. But a prophet, when you're reading from prophets, you could, you could do some, oh, interesting. some interesting exegetical leaps, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which always makes me uncomfortable. Like Jesus, you, you can't you can't just bring in this other verse and take it out of context, but but he does, uh, so, and I have to deal with that. What's interesting too is like I'm pretty sure verses and chapters weren't here yet, so he knew where to stop. It wasn't like, oh sure, you know we, the verses and chapter like chapters were what in the five hundreds or something like that. I don't it comes yeah, a couple, couple hundred years. And, yeah, yeah, somewhere between five hundred and one thousand. Yeah, so it's so when we, when we talk about like he stopped at verse this, like he knew where to stop. Right. But, but, but he, he still stopped that specific place. Yeah. Like he, he, he had in his head, okay, I want to read this part of this passage, bring in this verse from, uh, from uh, a couple columns earlier in the scroll. And then he went back over and, and finished it and stopped there before going on to the judgment part. And I'm so here's f- the thing later on in verse 22. Isn't this just he, so Joseph's son? I love that, that part. I love that. We're like, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, who is this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and there's some confusion in this passage because verse 22 in the NIV reads, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And they're like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> we know this guy. What a, he speaks so well. That, that, but then Jesus like talks a little bit more and as his teaching progresses, the people get so angry that they want to kill him. Like, that's really weird. And that's probably one of the toughest things about this passage is that, you know, six verses later, they take him up to a cliff and then they're about to throw him off. So like what in the world happened? I actually think that verse 22 
it is a bit is translated a little bit or should be translated a little bit differently. Yeah. Do you want me to get get in some Greek? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think okay. that like all I could think of is like from like Anchorman where they go, oh boy, this escalated quickly. Yeah, and and it happened so fast. So so my question is, what did Jesus say for that to happen? But actually, the the words that Jesus says, I think, makes him offended from the start. Mm-hmm. So okay. Here we go. Here's okay. into some Greek. So, Rob, you're my my, my lay person. Okay, perfect. Who, who That's hasn't my, had it's Greek. My, it's my skill set, <laughs> not knowing things. Yeah. Okay. So, you know how how English has, uh, we have like subjects and verbs. You with me so far? So far. Okay. And we also have direct objects and indirect objects. Kind of get you there. Okay, I'll take. Okay. Okay. So I'll here's smile a sentence. Along. Okay. <laughs> you smile and nod. Yeah. Here, here's a sentence. So I hit a ball with a bat. Okay. Okay, so subject, what's the subject of that sentence? I hit the ball with the bat. I. I. And what's the verb? Hit. Okay, so now we have we have two more nouns that one of them is the direct object, one of them is the is the indirect object. So yep. I hit and the ball with the bat. Which one do you think is the direct object? The ball. Yes. The it, direct object is the thing is the thing that like receives the action. Yep. It is actively involved in doing the action. Okay. Okay. Indirect object then is with a bat. Correct. It's the thing that is used to act upon the direct object. Now, the complicated thing about English is that we only know those things because of word order. Like if 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 we switch that up, it's like um, a bat hit me with a ball. That that the, the direct object and, and subject and verbs are changing because the word order switched up. Okay. You should Got have just it? asked me to read that sentence right off the bat. I would have gotten it all mixed up for you just to prove your point. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. <laughs> I see what you did there. Right. Um, I'm glad okay. you caught that one. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so, so here's the thing about Greek then. Greek at, uh, attaches different endings of words to identify whether it is the, like, whether it's the noun of a sentence or, or, or an object of a sentence. Okay. Now, speaking specifically of indirect objects, um, we we, <coughs> we call it in Greek the dative case. So, dative typically means like in, with, by. It's 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 like extra information that that's passively there about uh, another object. So that's that's with a bat. Okay. In this sentence here, all spoke well of him is. The is a dative case. So that's like an indirect object. So the, the him, the pronoun him in Greek is that indirect object. So because of a little bit of what I want to say, wishy-washiness or interpretive uh, options in mm-hmm. Greek, you can have a, what we call a dative of advantage, which is good, or a dative of disadvantage, which is bad. So the verb here is simply means to witness or to bear testimony about. So all were bearing witness what about him. Is it positive or negative? The Greek actually does not tell us. We have to understand this from context. Now, hmm. a lot of scholars, and, and including most of these transi- uh, traditional translations, will just put it positively, because this word is generally used in a positive sense. Like martyreo is the word that we get from, uh, we get martyr from. Mm-hmm. If someone is a martyr, they are bearing witness to the glory of God. That's a good thing, mm-hmm. even though they were killed for that, a martyr. Um, but in this case, I, I, I think, and it's not just me, other scholars think, that this actually should be a, a bad witness. 
they're like bearing witness against him. Like a, like a and, court and, testimony almost, it sounds like. Yeah, maybe. But that they're doing it like, so maybe if we change our tone, it'd be like all and all were bearing witness against him and were like incredulous at these words of grace that were proceeding from his mouth. And they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? Yeah, that's how I kind of read it. Like, hey, isn't yeah. this like, like when you ask it with a question mark the way it is, like even in our day, you're like, hey, isn't that Darren over there? Like, <laughs> right. Like, didn't this guy grow up here? Like, what's he doing? It, yeah. it, 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 does he have license to say this? Yeah. Like Jesus has some amazing rhetoric. He's a very good public speaker. And you can appreciate that about someone. But at the same time, you don't have to agree with what they said. Correct. Absolutely. Like, yeah. No, that's it's it. That's interesting to think about where it, like scholars think that it may be more on the negative side of going like, hey, isn't this Joseph's son? Or instead of, you know. Like, oh, isn't oh, this Joseph's son? Like, I, he's, yeah. he's one of us. Right? No, that's yeah. an interesting way to think about it. And then it kind of changes the story of then it makes a little bit more sense of like, hey. So then like when, as it goes on a few verses later where they're trying to push him off a cliff or, you know, get mm-hmm. him like in a time frame like is that the same day same time frame like what are we looking at i mean it's part of the same narrative so yeah i'd imagine so because in t- verse 28 it says all the people in the synagogue were furious and they got up and drove him away so yeah same same time frame here and the the two stories that he he shares in verses 24 through uh 27 are about old testament stories from elisha and elijah the prophets mm-hmm. where like there was a drought in Israel and yet God did not provide for Israel, but he provided for this Gentile widow. Uh, Naaman was, was a foreign military commander and God healed him. Like Jesus brings in these stories of blessings to the Gentiles, not to the Jews. And, and he uses those to reinforce his idea that, Hey guys, guess what? Like I am your Messiah. The, I, the spirit of the Lord is, is upon me and I'm, I'm here to proclaim freedom to everybody. But it's, but it's for the Gentiles. It's, it's not for you, Jews. Like, you already have this inheritance. You already have this law. I'm here to open the kingdom of God to everyone else. And that was not the message that these, like, nationalistic Jews in, in Nazareth wanted Ex- to hear. Especially as you're talking about how he stopped right before, like, the judgment of the Gentile section yeah. coming up. So they're going, hey, they're expecting, like, it's like the hellfire and brimstone preaching, and all of a sudden grace comes out. Mm-hmm. And they're going, wait a second. Now, I'm not saying hellfire and brimstone preaching doesn't have its place. Right. But there's like, when you're expecting A and you got B, mm-hmm. I mean, that, yeah, that's so an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. From the outset, Jesus was like, he wasn't preaching what Jews wanted him to preach. And that's one reason that most Jews rejected him, at least the high elite Jews. Like people who were in, in Jerusalem who were poor and outcast, they loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. His gospel was for them too. They weren't, you know, part of that high class society at all. No, interesting to think about. Well, that's, those are some, those are some good thoughts to take into the uh, going into the Beatitudes coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I'll ask again. Anything that we missed, Darren? Any parting yeah. thoughts? Uh, I, th- I think we're good. I've Dr- talked enough. Drew, any parting? <laughs> oh, he's on assignment. That's oh. right. Mm. We, we miss you, you. We missed you, Drew. So. All right, well, we'll get this wrapped up. If you have any questions or thoughts you want to share with us, feel free to email us, life at ForefrontChurch.tv. Or if you're at the church, there's a connection cards in the boxes in the back. Feel free to write your question down and put them in the boxes in the back. 
We'd love to hear from you as we want to develop a question and answer episode here in the in the relatively near future. So it'd be fun to hear your questions. So Pastor Darren Enns, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Yep. And I'm Rob Lazzi. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.